This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is Southpaw. Hey, and one more thing. If you love the show and want to support us, go to patreon.com slash southpawpod. Hi, this is Paul, and I'll be doing the fight study for the main event of UFC Uruguay, Shevchenko vs. Karmuch 2. The UFC visits Uruguay for the first time in its promotional history, and since they have no actual fighter from the country, or at least a champion, they figured the next closest thing is Valentina Shevchenko. I guess it makes sense in that she has trained extensively in Peru, so close enough? To be fair, this is the same promotion that put Force Griffin as a co-main event for UFC 72, a pay-per-view card in Belfast, Ireland, simply because he has some Irish ancestry. Listen, I'm just trying to say that Dana and company could have done a better job in terms of rounding out this card as a whole, but let's leave those kind of details to Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby. To the surprise of many, the main event match between Valentina Shevchenko and Liz Karmuch is actually a rematch. Many things have changed since their first fight back in September 2010, where Shevchenko was making her return to bantamweight from flyweight. For Karmuch, this was her fifth win in a row, adding nicely to her then-undefeated record. For Shevchenko, it was her first professional loss and broke her seven-fight win streak. Flash forward to 2019 and things are a lot different. Leading up to the fight, Karmuch is 2-1 as a flyweight and Shevchenko is the undisputed champion having won the flyweight title in a five-round title fight against Joanna Jonjecic and defended the belt recently in June against Jessica I, which she won by knockout in round two. The fight itself wasn't very competitive, but let's see what lessons we can glean from this rematch. Some of the key points I want to hit upon are pointless moving, stance switching, bad fainting, and how important coaching is. Let's start with pointless moving. When the judges are scoring a fight, it's true that the more active and aggressive fighters will be looked upon more favorably. However, this can only go so far when it comes to effectiveness. A fighter must move with purpose in mind. There are time limits for a reason, and the fighter is anywhere from 15 to 25 minutes to make the most of it. When a fighter moves, they have to do it with the intention of advancing their position, beginning their attack, evading strikes or grappling exchange, deceiving their opponent, or some combination of all the above. What doesn't help is simply moving for the sake of moving. This only tires you out and will eventually give away your movement patterns for your opponent to pick up on. When a fighter keeps moving because they think it's the right thing to do, it shows their opponent that one, they haven't really game planned as much as they should, and two, that there are possible patterns that they should watch out for and take advantage. You don't always have to keep moving from one spot to another to win fights. Israel Adesanya shows that even through all his flashy strikes and feints, if he doesn't think you'll engage him in striking, he'll stop and wait for you to get closer before he tries again. Not everyone has to be Kyoji Horiguchi and constantly bounce around from side to side, but even then he will mix in attacks to keep you guessing. 
it's important to note that fighters like Horoguchi don't stay active the entire time. They'll do it sporadically to save energy because otherwise they'll gas themselves out in round two. Movement has to have a reason. One look at Dominic Cruz might seem confusing since his herky-jerky footwork seems like he's having seizures in the octagon, but look closer and you'll see that he's hiding his advances in plain sight and watching you try and adjust while he peppers you with long hooks and jabs. Cody Garbrandt had the fight of his life against Dominic Cruz, and he did this by reading those signals and staying in place to slip punches and counter with hooks of his own while adding in some dance moves. Karmuch spent the bulk of round 1 and most of round 2 simply feeling out Shevchenko, and around the 7 minute mark, Shevchenko realized she wasn't in any real danger and that the movements weren't part of a larger plan. Another obvious issue was the space between both fighters, and it was noticeable to the point of embarrassment. If you didn't know any better, you'd swear that there was an invisible opponent in between Shevchenko and Karmuch. It's fine to minimize risk by managing distance, but during this fight, I really wanted to know if Karmuch needs glasses. It's a serious question since fighters like Gaethje have terrible vision, so he has to fight in your face up close to land anything. I don't know if Karmuch was able to get away with it during training and during the actual fight because the risks are so much higher. I don't know if she hung back further on purpose. Now, this also speaks to the veteran savvy of Shevchenko and the countless hours she puts in her striking game. She knows that by standing that far apart, she's not in any real danger of getting hit and that Karmush is simply getting some exercise by doing these pointless movements. Another real danger of pointless movements is that it exposes you to punishment that you could have avoided simply by not putting yourself in harm's way. The majority of Karmush's movements also came from so far away that it didn't matter what she did. There was no real threat from Shevchenko at that distance. The only real strikes that Karmush landed consistently were the low kicks. In round 4, Karmuch advanced on Shevchenko as she was inching backwards, trying for a takedown and not realizing that the champion's feet were already starting to pivot. Shevchenko threw one of her favorite strikes, the spinning back fist from Southpaw, and it cut Karmuch clean and knocked her down. This was not a calculated risk, it was movement for the sake of movement that got the fighter in real trouble. Speaking of movement, stance switching is something that has found somewhat of a resurgence in recent MMA fighters. And it's about time that footwork gets continued to be explored and experimented with. If you're able to stand switch fluidly, you suddenly become a much bigger threat to your opponent since they now have two sides to worry about. Max Holloway always puts on a clinic on how to effectively stand switch, and he is a must-watch for anyone who wants to learn how to incorporate it into their training. Demetrius Johnson and TJ Dillashaw also do great work in establishing a strong attack from one side and hide their transition to another stance by throwing in strikes or attempted takedowns. Whether they disguise it by shifting forward while throwing a hook, or faking a level change and switching their lead foot when their opponent starts to sprawl, both fighters never make it obvious. When it is made obvious, you get clipped clean. When both Demetrius Johnson and Dominic Cruz got caught clean during a naked stance switch, they both got dropped onto their butts and had to scramble back up to prevent any follow-up ground and pound. This exact thing happened to Liz Karmuch in round 3 when she went for a low kick. Granted, she was throwing a kick and got caught on one foot, but the principle is still the same. 
if you attempt to shuffle your feet out in the open, you are left vulnerable to clean strikes from your opponent who now has a free strat at striking you off balance or scooping you up for an easier takedown. Throughout the fight, Karmuch was experimenting with this, but it was obvious to the viewers and Shevchenko that she was doing it. The elite strikers in MMA are able to disguise this even easier by throwing a kick from their rear side and landing it down, shifting their position. If you don't have the confidence in your kicks, you can disguise this with hooks. Johnny Hendricks used to do this with a lot of effectiveness back in his prime, and Triple G is still catching people clean whenever he does it in the boxing ring. A good rule of thumb for stand switching is that if you have to think about it, it's probably a bad idea. Only when you can do it as second nature should it be attempted during a live fight. I don't want to make it seem like I'm picking specifically on Karmouche, but there are fighters in the UFC that make this mistake as well. A good or bad example of this is Alex Hernandez. He moves for the sake of moving and will pointlessly stand switch because he thinks it seems like the right thing to do. This got him caught against Donald Cerrone, and in a best-case scenario of this working, he won a controversial decision against Francisco Trinaldo. If the best you can hope for is a judge's decision that might go your way, you should consider a different strategy when it comes to stand switching. The third point I want to speak about is bad fainting. Fainting is an art form all on its own and should be treated as something that should count as a placeholder for an actual strike. When you consider the fighters who faint very well, the common thread among all of them is that they're able to mix in strikes off of their own rhythm and keep their opponents guessing. To do this successfully, a fighter has to create a real threat from the start to let them know that the possibility is there and it can strike whenever they feel the time is right. The ultimate successful feint is Jorge Masvidal's brilliant performance against Ben Askren. He had Askren convinced that this was going to be a slow tactical fight where they would get into different grappling exchanges and go for strikes. Masvidal even started the fight with his hands behind his back. A few fake steps to one direction before he exploded into a sprint and a flying knee was all it took and Askren was out cold in 5 seconds. However, if you're looking for a longer fight study on successful fainting, some older footage of Masvidal and Calvin Cater are great viewing. Look at Masvidal's fight against Ross Pearson and see how he's able to manipulate his rhythm and power. Pearson expects a jab, straight, jab, all in a linear fashion so he can slip in and move forward for his counter hook. Masvidal surprised him with a slow jab, quick straight, and a powerful jab to stun and draw Pearson. And from then on, Pearson isn't quite sure what strikes are the power ones and which ones are for show. Calvin Cater's background come from boxing, and his feints are so slick because he mixes them in with real jabs and straights. The movement and speed of Cater's punches are the same as his feints, so the opponents are never 100% sure which ones they should react to, and which ones aren't threats. Karmuch throws feints that weren't convincing, and Shevchenko bit on virtually none of them. Feints have to come with real threats. Otherwise, they simply get lumped in there with pointless movements. Finally, I want to talk about bad or dishonest coaching. Before a fight takes place under the bright lights, the training for it will determine what kind of showing you will have. Injuries aside, a good training camp will do the best to mimic the actual fight by bringing in specific training partners, sharpening up your best tools, 
and keeping your physical and mental state primed to peak at the right time. It's important for a coach to recognize certain habits that the opponent is prone to by studying footage, and if that's not available, you have to be able to make great adjustments during the fight itself. Shevchenko has a long history in combat sports, not just MMA. There isn't a lack of footage for her out there. She's been in the UFC for four years now. Now, it's true what you practice for might not pan out during the fight itself, and that's okay. There's a reason why cornermen are so important to a fighter. They serve as extra sets of eyes and ears for the fighter to utilize. They're able to see what's working and what isn't. So you can either make the necessary adjustments to start winning or keep up what's working. In this fight, Karmuch's corner was telling her that she was doing great and following the game plan, which only got me confused as to what the strategy was. It couldn't have been to tire out Shevchenko. She's gone the distance against the likes of Amanda Nunez and Joanna Yonjechik. Shevchenko's striking fundamentals and grappling are solid, so I don't know if the plan was to try and strike for a bit before taking her down for some ground and pound. This is frustrating because there are things that Karmuch could have done to try and steal the fight from Shevchenko. The moments where Shevchenko is at her most vulnerable is during clinch exchanges, and we saw this during her matchup with Joanna Yonjechik, where there were moments within the clinches where Joanna was able to land some good strikes. Not the best, but still enough to damage her. Given how strong Karmuch is reputed to be, this is an area where she could have tried to rough her up and force some strikes along the fence, a la Daniel Cormier or Josh Barnett. Even if a takedown isn't in the cards, multiple attempts can lead to clinches, where you can try to strike off the break and also try for low-risk takedowns like the knee pick. Frankie Edgar does an excellent job of these, and he was able to catch Max Holloway with a few clean strikes when he attempted the knee pick and struck him instead. Either way, Karmuch's corner didn't do her any favors during the fight, and it's a shame since at the very least, being honest could have led to Karmuch realizing earlier on that she's behind on the cards and needs to pick up the pace or try something new. Overall, this fight was kind of a snoozer, but it did serve to show the gap between Shevchenko and the rest of her division. Coming up, we have UFC 241, an absolutely stacked card that I will be publishing a preview on shortly. The main event features a rematch between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic for the heavyweight title in what could be DC's last fight. We also have Nate Diaz returning to face off against Anthony Pettis in a fun welterweight fight and Yoel Romero squares off against Paulo Costa in a fight that's going to make USADA earn its paycheck. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>